we're in a series that we started last week in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a glorious, short, little book in your Old Testament. If you've got your Bibles or a, a phone, you can go ahead and start turning there with me now. We'll, we'll read the passage in just a minute. Habakkuk is only three chapters long, only 56 verses. It's in a section of the Bible called the Minor Prophets. And there are 12 minor prophets. They're called the minor prophets not because they're less important than the five major prophets. No, they're called the minor prophets because they're shorter than the major prophets. And Habakkuk is no different. It is a very, very short book. Now, if you ask me, what's the one vocation in ministry that you would hope God would never call you to? And that is being an Old Testament prophet. I'll tell you, that's a tough, tough job. You see, Old Testament prophets came about at the time when the nation, when God's people had gone astray. So God would have prophets do something that seems crazy, outlandish, to illustrate to the people, you've gone astray. It's meant to shock the people. We see the prophet Isaiah. He preached for three years in the nude. Quite shocking. Ezekiel, for 390 days, he lay on his side. He ate a scroll. He cooked barley cakes over cow dung. God called Hosea to marry an unfaithful harlot. Elijah was fed by a bird. Daniel stopped eating delicious food. Jeremiah buried his underwear and wore a cattle yoke. No, being a prophet is not a position I think any of us would aspire to, yet God would call faithful men to rise up and be his prophets in the Old Testament. Habakkuk starts with a heightened sense of tension. It starts with this tension uh, that things aren't the way they ought to be. And as I mentioned last week, Habakkuk's unique. It's not God speaking to Habakkuk and Habakkuk speaking to the people. No, it's Habakkuk looking at the condition of the people and speaking to God. And he shares his frustration. He can't understand his daily experience of what's going on. Now last week I gave you a very simple outline for the entirety of the book. And I think it's helpful because it'll explain what we're doing during these four weeks. Habakkuk starts off with questions and God answers. We saw that last week. Today, we're going to get a second set of questions. And again, God will answer. Next week, we'll see God pronounce five woes. Five woes upon the nation of Babylon, and really any nation throughout the history of the world that behaves like Babylon. And then finally, our last week, we're going to see a prayer of confidence and of rejoicing in the Lord. Today we're going to get to the central verse of the entire book, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. This is one of the key verses in the entirety of Scripture. Where it says, the righteous shall live by their faith. Much of the New Testament is built upon 
an understanding of the righteous shall live by their faith. We're going to come to that verse at the end today. But before we start reading our passage, let me just bring you up to speed where we are. Last week, Habakkuk looks out and sees God's people living rebelliously. And he looks at God and says, How long, God? How long are you going to put up with your people rebelling against you? And then he asks a second question. Why? Why aren't you doing anything about this, God? And God answers him. Look at the Babylonians, a wicked nation. They are going to be my instrument to judge you. And that's where we pick up today. Because that shocked Habakkuk, and it caused Habakkuk to ask a second set of questions. So if you would please, stand for the reading of God's word. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12 through chapter 2, verse 5. Hear the word of God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them as reproof. You who are pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook he drags them with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. He rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net, makes an offering to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I'll take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower, and look out and see what he will say to me, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. The Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who's never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Lord, unless you speak today, nothing of significance will be spoken. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder if we would have liked hanging out with Habakkuk. He seems to be a bit of a complainer. Nobody 
really enjoys being with someone who complains a lot, yet that's what we find Habakkuk doing. He's troubled by what he sees. And God has just told him that Babylon is going to be used as God's instrument of judgment. And this troubles him greatly. This shocks him. Babylon is a hasty, cruel, ruthless nation. And he doesn't understand how God can do this. Babylon worships their own power. Babylon treats humans like animals. And Habakkuk, in verse 12 and 13, he shows confidence in God's character. We got three points today. First, he shows confidence in God's character. Listen to what he says. Are you not everlasting? He starts off going, God, you've always been. You have no beginning. You have no end. You've always been. He starts off speaking truth to who God is. Are you not everlasting? And then he says, God, you're holy. You're holy, meaning a holy God cannot dwell with sin. A holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. And he's looking, saying, God, you're holy, yet we look and we see this sinful nation Babylon. He calls God his rock. He says that God is pure. He speaks all these truths about God, yet when he looks out and sees what's about to happen, what's going on with God's people, what's going on with the nation. When he sees all this, he can't reconcile it with what he believes about God. You ever had that issue? You ever struggle with, God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's loving. He's good. Yet we look out in our world and we see brokenness. We see hardship. We see struggle. We see pain. We see difficulty. And we wonder, God, if you're all powerful and you're all knowing, why don't you do something? And God's going to answer Habakkuk in a minute. Habakkuk asks his first question for today in verse 13. He says, Why do you idly look at traitors? And remain silent when the wicked swallows up a man more righteous than he. So God, are you idle? Uh, God, are you doing anything? God, God, are you just being silent? That's his first question. Why aren't you doing anything, God? Now, just a second ago in verse 12, Habakkuk said this phrase. He said, we will not die. Which again, he's calling God back to the promises God made. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God established the kingdom of David forever. And he knows the nation cannot be completely wiped out. But he's looking going, God, this makes no sense. I don't understand. Are you going to be idle? Are you going to be silent in the face of evil? Perhaps we've Ask those questions in some way. Maybe not as bold and as directly as Habakkuk does, but as we drive or walk through our city and we see great poverty, we see people in great need, we see hurting, 
We say, why? God, why, why, why do you allow this? Why aren't you doing anything, God? Are you going to be idle? Why is there suffering? Why do we encounter that? These are the questions that he's asking, and he doesn't understand. And that brings us to our second point. He has confusion in his circumstances. So he has, while he has confidence in God, he doesn't question God. He also has confusion in the circumstances of his day. I think many of us can find ourselves there. Confusion about what's going on. In verses 14 through 16, we're going to see Habakkuk lay out a great analogy. He's going to compare Babylon and their military strength with fishing. You see, the Babylonians, they were known as great fishermen. And he's going to, in verse 14, say, You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. So he starts off saying, God, are, are you just making us like fish of the sea? We do whatever we want. No one's in charge. God is silent. God is idle. He's not doing anything. And as a result, the fisherman comes and does as he wishes with the fish. That's the analogy he's drawing that he's pulling up to God. God, you're just allowing us to do whatever. And in verse 15, he says he brings them up with a hook. Now, if you've ever fished with a hook, you know it's hard to catch a fish often. It takes time with a hook. But then he talks about a second instrument. He says he drags them with his net. Now, have you ever fished with a net? You can get a net and you can see a fish and it's easy to scoop up. A net is a much more effective, easy fishing instrument. And third, he says he gathers them with a drag net. Now, a drag net, it's a large net. You would typically get two boats side by side. One would take one end of the net. The other would take the other end. The net would have weights on the bottom, and they would go, and they would collect everything in their path. A drag net does not discriminate. If you're fishing for a certain type of uh, fish know that a dragnet will take everything. In some parts of the world, a dragnet is actually illegal to use because it brings such destruction to the fishing life. And that's what he says Babylon is doing. They're gathering up every nation indiscriminately taking everyone in for their own glory, for their own domination. And the, the dragnet is compared to the might and the military strength of Babylon. Look at what he says next in verse, at the end of verse, uh, end of verse 15. He says, so he rejoices and is glad. Babylon rejoices and is glad at their domination. There's a man who rules Babylon named King Nebuchadnezzar. If you're a, a Bible student at all or grew up in the church, you probably heard the king name King Nebuchadnezzar. He's one of the famous pagan kings in the Bible. And he lived for his own glory. He gobbled up nations for his own glory. He established Babylon as the might and power of the day. 
The city of Babylon, it was famous. It had these hanging gardens. They're one of the wonders of the ancient world. And Nebuchadnezzar glories in his military strength. Look at what it says in verse 16. He sacrifices to his net. He makes an offering to the dragnet. Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, worships their military strength. Now, it's easy to look at this and say, well, we would never do that. We, we would never worship our, our military strength or, or anything else. We worship the one true God. But look at why he worships them. End of verse 16. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. He worships his military strength because it provides what he wants. He wants luxury. He wants to be rich. He wants good food. And the temptation for each of us here today is to worship that which provides what we want. What do we want? What do we desire? And if something will provide it, we are tempted to worship it. We can worship all sorts of things. We worship things that are often very good. We can worship a job. Because that job provides a certain lifestyle or a means of income to provide. We can worship a person because that person meets a certain need for us. We can worship an idea, a longing, a desire, a desire for a job. We can worship a, a desire to, to be married, a desire to have a family, a desire for these things because we believe by them they will provide what we long for. And that's always a temptation within each of us. So as we look at uh, Habakkuk's commentary on, Haba on Babylon, it's easy to think, well, we're not there. But when we look at our hearts and lives, we can easily move there. Parents can easily find themselves worshiping their children and how their children turn out. Children can find themselves worshiping various idols and television stars and people they look up to. This happens all the time. And here he says it's because they, re they rejoice in it. It makes them glad and that by it it provides what they long for. When you, sit, when you look at your heart and say, what does my heart long for? Whatever you think will provide that, you're at great temptation to worship it. It's only when we look and we say, true joy is only found in Jesus Christ. True security is only found in Christ. True hope, true purpose, true meaning for life is only found in Him. And as we attach our heart's desires to Christ, we worship Him more. We worship Him more fully with who we are. Habakkuk asks a second question in verse 17. He says, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing forever? Will he keep on just gathering up nations? So two questions Habakkuk asked today. God, seems like you're silent. Seems like you're idle. God, is Babylon just going to do this forever? But here's what Habakkuk doesn't know. 
Within 70 years, King Cyrus of the Medo-Persian Empire will march upon Babylon and defeat the mighty Babylonian Empire. Babylon will reign for less than a century. Their power, their might is fleeting. It doesn't last. Just like all earthly kingdoms, just like all earthly might, just like all earthly strength, none of them last. So Habakkuk says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, I'll take my stand at my watch post and station myself there on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Here, here in verse 1, it's as if Habakkuk just says, God, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm just going to fold my arms and stand here on the watchtower and watch it. It's as if he's saying, uh, God, you're, you're being idle. I don't know how long this is going to go for. So I'm just going to sit back and watch. Are you going to move, God? Are you going to do anything? And even at the end of verse 2 calls it a complaint. Habakkuk is complaining to God. Heard someone ask this week, can, can, can we really question God? Can we complain to God? God is holy. He's righteous. He's other than and I believe because our relationship with God is not based on our works, our religious practice, the fact that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we approach God by grace, the grace he's extended to us, that we are free to ask God questions. Though the questions we ask often reveal the spiritual state of our heart and soul. Habakkuk here, he believes in God, he just has an issue. We're going to get to what that issue is in a minute when God answers. So yes, we can, we can ask God questions. We can complain to God. Because he's not going to smite us or do away with us or not listen to us. But those questions and those complaints often reveal our understanding of God, our trust in God, our relationship with him. And that's what's revealed here with Habakkuk. In verse 2, it says, the Lord answered. Now we're going we're gonna to hear from God now. The, the Lord answered, and it says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Here's what God says to Habakkuk. Write this down. Put it on tablets. That's like the Ten Commandments. Stone tablets. Don't miss what I'm going to say. I remember when I was a kid in school, a teacher would often take a misbehaving student and have them write what we called sentences. So they would have you write a hundred, maybe a hundred and fifty sentences, and here's what you would write. Something like, I will not talk and disrupt my neighbor in class. And you'd write it over and over again. I will not talk and disrupt my neighbor in class. I will not talk and disrupt my neighbor in class. And you'd write it a hundred times. And then your parents had to sign it. And you had to bring it back to the teacher with your parents' signature on it. It was something you didn't want. It was something you feared as a kid. But let me tell you, once you've written sentences... 
you don't forget what you've written. You don't forget it. It's, it's etched in your mind. And here, that's what God is saying to Habakkuk. Write this down, Habakkuk. Make it plain. I don't want you or Israel or anyone to forget what I'm about to say. It's important. First off, in verse 3, he says, For still a vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Be patient. I'm not a very patient person. I come from a culture that struggles with the idol of efficiency, the idol of quickness, and God continually teaches me patience. Be patient. God's over it. He's in control. And here, that's what he tells Habakkuk. He says, be patient. Wait for it. I've got it. With the Lord, Peter says, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord sees time very differently. We've been waiting 2,000 years for Jesus to return. He's coming back. He's coming back. We long for that day in Revelation where every tribe, tongue, and nation will gather and worship God. It's coming, but it's not here yet. We're waiting. Be patient. And then in verse 4, he comes to the climax of the entire book. The key of what he's going to say to Habakkuk. And it's basically uh, has to do with this. There are two ways to live, Habakkuk. How are you going to live? Two ways to live. Listen to what he says in verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. One way to live is proud. As a prideful person. Puffed up. Full of yourself. Self-sufficient. I can do it. I can figure it out. I'm enough. But... He says, the righteous shall live by faith. Two ways to live, these don't really go together. To live by your pride and your arrogance or to live by your faith. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. One way leads to death. The other way leads to life. Jesus said, there's a wise builder and a foolish builder. Wise builder built on the rock, foolish builder built on the sand. Jesus says, there's a wide road, a, a wide road that leads to destruction. We mourn that and grieve that. But there's a narrow road that leads to life. Psalm 1 says, there's a way of the wicked and a way of the righteous. So here we get in verse 4, two ways to live. And he's saying, write this down, Habakkuk. How are you going to live, Habakkuk? Are you going to live in your pride? You're so prideful, you've got to have the answers to everything. I've got, I've got to have everything figured out, God, so tell me what's going on. I don't understand. Or will you live by faith? That's how the righteous live, by faith. Even when you don't understand, Habakkuk, will you keep trusting me and live by your faith? This verse God has used in powerful ways throughout history. It's quoted three times in your New Testament. 
In the early 1500s, there was a troubled German monk. He was, he was troubled because he desired to be righteous. And he believed he could be righteous through confessing every sin he had ever done. He would stay up all night long writing down his sins, thinking through his sins, praying over his sins, and then the next day he would take him to the priest and confess every sin he'd committed. Finally, the priest became so tired of this monk that they said, don't come back until you have something real to confess. Well, finally, an older, wiser monk saw this young monk's troubles and said, I'm going to send you to teach God's word. Because God's word has a way of working things out in people's lives and in their hearts. So this young monk went to teach at a new university in Wittenberg, Germany. And it was as he was teaching the book of Romans that he came upon this verse from Habakkuk, quoted in Romans. Romans uh, 1.17, where it says, The righteous shall live by faith. And he realized, we don't live by works. We don't live by religious practices. No, we are reconciled to God through faith, and we live by faith. And this young monk would be so transformed by this verse that he would go and nail 95 protestations against the church, and he would spark a fire that become the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, through this verse, God would use to reform, to purify the body of Christ. And God's been using this verse over and over and over and over again. In Romans, it emphasizes the righteous. You want to be righteous? You can't do it. The only way you can be righteous is living by faith. Face how you live righteously. You have to have faith. And, and here in Habakkuk, he doesn't know the object of his faith. He knows it's God, but he doesn't have the fulfillment yet. The fulfilled object of his faith is Christ Jesus. You have faith that though you're a sinner, Christ who lives sinlessly died to reconcile you to God Almighty. And that is good, glorious news. And in Hebrews, Hebrews 10.38, it has this same verse. The righteous will live by faith, and it emphasizes the faith aspect. You see, Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. It starts off defining faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things unseen. Here's the idea of faith. You trust God even when you can't see clearly. Faith always requires you to step out and say, I don't know how this is going to work out. I can't fully see clearly. I've got to step out and trust God. See, faith is different from sight. Sight, we can see clearly. Faith, we have to trust God. And in Hebrews 11, it goes through the hall of fame of all these people who live by faith, starting with Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, and then he mentions all the prophets. Habakkuk being included in all the prophets in that hall of faith. And then in Galatians 3.11, it mentions the same verse. And here's the emphasis. We live by faith. 
We live by faith. We don't merely have faith. No, we, we live by our faith. I think there are many who can fall more into merely having faith. Meaning, you believe you're a sinner, and you, and you believe that Jesus died for your sins to reconcile to, your God, to you to God. You believe the right things. You've been converted, but you just don't live by your faith. You live by sight. You live by your own understanding. See, that's the problem Habakkuk is having. It's not that he doesn't believe in God. It's not that he doesn't trust God. It's that he doesn't live by his faith. He has faith, just doesn't live by it. He's looking out going, this doesn't make sense. God, are you idle? God, are you silent? God, how long are you going to let this go on for? It's very easy for us to do that in our day and time. God, this disease, COVID, keeps running around. Every time it seems like it gets better, it gets worse. How long, God? How long? Are you silent? Are you idle? Do you know what's going on? We look at conflict around the world. Struggle, difficulty, conflict here in Ethiopia. And it's easy to wonder, God, what's going on? God, God, how are you going to work this for good and for your glory? I don't understand. God says, you just keep living by faith. You keep trusting me. God, the economy's going bad. Maybe in your personal life, there's struggles. God, what is going on? And God says, you live by faith. You keep trusting. Christian, this is how we live. We don't merely have faith, but we live by it. He'll close in verse 5. God will close this part of the answer by saying, Babylon's never going to have enough. He'll gobble up nations and people and never be satisfied. Know this. As long as you keep looking to be satisfied by things out there, you will never be satisfied. You may taste a moment of satisfaction, but you dig in. You live by faith. You trust in the Lord and you will taste deep, joy-filled satisfaction. What does living by faith look like? Living by faith looks like we know our prayers matter. That's why we pray. Because we have faith in God and we bring our requests and our concerns and worship Him. Living by faith looks like knowing that God has a plan for the church. He's not done. He's still working for, through, in and through his people, the church. Having faith that God has a purpose for your life. Living by faith is walking knowing that this isn't home. That there's a kingdom to come. That heaven is real. Living by faith understands that God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's always with you. And that in all these things, we're more than conquerors. Living by faith knows that God is worth it. Sometimes it's easier to believe the salvation part that we're reconciled to God through Christ than it is to live out our faith. God calls us to live by faith and I pray that we do that.
couple things I want to encourage, challenge, put before us as a church. In the announcements, it mentioned that we are praying daily for Ethiopia. Praying for this nation. This nation where many of you have lived your entire life. Where many like myself, God has brought us here. We're praying for the difficulties, the challenges that have hit this nation. And we're asking that you, that we as a church pray each day at noon. So what I would ask is if you just set an alarm, whatever you're doing, and when that goes off, even if it's just a, maybe you're in the middle of doing something that you can't be interrupted, you can just hear that alarm and go, Lord, I pray for Ethiopia. May your will be done. May we trust in you. Maybe you're able to spend more time in prayer. The time doesn't matter. What we want as a church is by faith to live out our faith rather than looking at all the issues within our nation and going, how long? When's it going to end? What's the final resolution? That we look to God and say, God, it's in your hands. We have faith in you. And if you're able to and would like to, we want to invite you to come pray right here on Tuesdays. It's from noon to one. It's very informal. We'll have a prayer guide for you. So you can just come in, grab a prayer guide, and join uh, in prayer. It, we won't, it won't be necessarily a led from stage prayer, but it'll be a prayer that we'll be able to gather as saints to pray. So I would invite you to consider that. We're going to be doing that between now and New Year's, which is September 11th in an intentional way. Another way that we're seeking to live by faith in a small way is there's a neighborhood right here beside us that has some needs and our church has been asked if we could help meet those physical needs so we're seeking to do so so we have what we call the five loaves challenge where you can bring some of the goods I think they may be listed on the screen yes listed on the screen behind me just bring those to church on Sunday you can bring them throughout the week but starting next Sunday when you're walking in we'll have someone or something clearly marked for you to put those good it's in we'll be collecting those for the next few weeks just a couple of steps we can take as we seek to live out faith trusting in God I find myself often lifting by sight more than I do by faith that's something I'm sad to confess but I'll tell you this the more I walk by faith. The more I walk in a way where I can't see clearly, but I've got to trust God, the more I taste the deep joy and delight of a good God who we can trust in. I pray you taste that as well. Let me pray. God, I thank you for Habakkuk. I thank you for this congregation. And I pray that we would be a people who live by faith. Lord, we're not long for this earth. The time here is brief, but eternity is great and amazing and grand. And soon, Lord, we'll be with you. Either we'll come to you from earthly death or you will come to get us. But Lord, until that day comes, may we be found living in faith, walking near and close to you. God, I thank you that you're personal, that you speak to us through your word, that you give us brothers and sisters that love us, that you guide and direct us.
Lord, may we be people who humbly walk by faith. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.